0: Welcome to Modern Motherhood, where you're required to be everything, to everyone, all the time. We wouldn't have it any other way, but let's be honest, it's hard work. So let's talk about it, all of it, in the raw, with no filter. Come and be a fly on the wall as you listen in on a chat between friends, as each week welcomes a new guest and a new topic to delve deeper around the ins and outs of not only motherhood, but life in general. The ups, the downs, the struggles, the highlights, the reality. Because the reality is, you're not alone. We're all in this together. You're listening to Mummy Republic. Welcome to The Whirlwind. Hello, lovely, and welcome back to another episode of the Mummy Republic podcast. I'm your host, Annie, and I cannot wait to get started today. But before we do, I just want to give a quick shout out to roses underscore can, who has left a beautiful five-star review and comment for me on iTunes. She says the podcast is like catching up with an old friend, fun, intelligent, informative conversation. I could listen all day. Thank you so much, lovely. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to leave that feedback. And if you want to do the same, you can pop on over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a comment so you can let other users know what they're in for. While you're over there, make sure that you don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of the episodes. Coming up over the next couple of weeks, I will be doing a bonus episode. So make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss it. Now, in my usual style, today's episode touches on a topic that's a little bit taboo. We are going to discuss eating disorders. Now, unfortunately, I'm sure this will actually resonate with a lot of you. However, if it is a sensitive topic for you or you don't feel like you're emotionally ready to listen to this discussion, maybe sit this one out. Otherwise, let's just get straight into it, shall we? I am going to kick things off with a welcome that I've stolen from my guest's website. (laughs) Don't look so nervous. Um, Experienced and knowledgeable, yet unconventional and always the first to say it how it is. I just love that. Welcome today to the beautiful Lexi Crouch. How are you? Good thanks, Danny. How are you today? I am good. I am great. We are sitting in my lounge room, sipping on peppermint tea. (laughs) It's a fabulous way to start the day. Now, I love that intro because... Uh, without sounding like a total creep, although it does, you know, I'm going to sound like a creep. For the past 10 odd months since I've had my Instagram page, I've been following you and your journey and I just love all that is you. So before we really, well, actually, no, we'll probably just dive straight into it. I think a lot of what makes you who you are is from the experiences that you've had. So do you want to tell us a little bit about um, your background? Because it's probably something that's a little bit taboo, but I want to touch on the experiences that we've had
1: oh definitely danny and i think that is the benefit of having gone through something that i'll touch on as i go through the journey um, is essentially now having gone through that might get to be me which is great so basically i've come from a 15 year lived experience with an eating disorder i'm 31 years old now and i guess that this was as you're exactly taboo back in the day So this kind of started off when I was around seven years old. I'd experienced some bullying in the playground and hadn't really known much about life or body, food, weight, shape, who I was meant to be really at that time. And I was actually approached on the playground by uh, some girls older than me um, asking if my best friend was Jenny Craig. I had no idea what they were talking about. And this was back in, I guess the 90s where we did have a lot to do with Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, and we had that whole diet culture going. Yet being seven years old, not really sure. So I remember going home that day, and that's about as far as my memory kind of goes back to ask my parents who was Jenny Craig. And obviously there was a lot of shock around um, their faces and um, why someone had been asking me this. Yes, I was seven years old, had that puppy fat, nothing different than what I guess a lot of us are mums um, Then our kids are now. We're growing and that's a normal part of life. But it was just taken too far. So my parents thought that it was kind of protective that we did something about this. And I basically uh, stemmed into a whole lot of dieting. So from the age of seven onwards, I knew much about calories. I was always focusing on what I was eating. And um, this continued through my high school years. So. I was going to a school in Brisbane and by the time I was 14 years old, it was visibly uh, noticeable and uh, I guess um, people wanted to step in, but I guess the thing with mental health now is we talk about it. Mm. Back then, we just didn't at all and nobody really knew what to do. So I was sent off to boarding school, uh, I like to call it up the hill in Toowoomba, (laughs) and um, basically thinking that there might have been a change of environment and um, just having different circumstances that this may have put me on a better path. But that's what we don't know about eating disorders is you can go anywhere, but the eating disorder is always going to follow you. So from it was my senior year, I took things pretty seriously. I would say I am a high achiever. So at this time I was school prefect, I was... I boarding captain and did quite well at school and I think the pressure just got to me again it is a lot of pressure in society that we do have of Mm. you have to achieve you have to reach this goal and if you're a literal sensitive person you're going to take that to an extreme so I pushed really hard in year 12 and just didn't quite make it so that started my spiral of hospital admissions um, for my first I guess medical intervention of anorexia in the and it was during that time that I um, got into that system so I didn't finish year twelve and basically life from 17 to 25 just became the revolving hospital door and going through many treatment strategies there. I'd like to point out in this time I did get to experience life so there were things that I was doing. I got to experience life as a flight attendant only for a couple of months because the eating disorder would always get in the way. I didn't really know what was going on at that time or how to manage it. But essentially a lot of the time I was battling in silence and I guess with eating disorders in general, people see them as a physical uh, illness and they don't really know what is going on behind the smile. Should someone be of a higher weight? I guess that is the really scary thing with bulimia or other conditions where it isn't as physical but uh, the impact it has on your health there is a lot. So you can manage to smile, you can manage to keep, functional jobs and keep going, but no one really knows what was happening.
0: Being 17 in grade 12, I'm sure you were pretty good at at hiding that or masking it as, oh, look, I'm I'm just a teenage girl, you know, on diets wanting to be thin. Who stepped in and said, hang on, there's actually something not right here?
1: This is quite interesting. I feel um, I... And, or I was at the time a very functional person. I Like to think I'm still a functional. <laughs> <person>. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, so it did go monitor. Uh, it did go under the radar there. And um, there's little traits with eating disorders that the person at the time doesn't even really know that they're aware of. So there can be little tips and tricks that still look like you're still eating, or you're going out of your way to make sure others are eating. And um, really looks like you've got it all together. So it can be quite hard to approach. Mm. And it did go quite undetected. I was at boarding school, so I think there were about 300 other girls I was with. We would eat in a big college hall. And, you know, well, we all know what teenagers are like. It was hard to even drag yourself from bed to, <laughs> to die in the morning. And um, let alone the mistresses being able to attend to someone one-on-one. But it's really got to that extreme when I was in year 12. Um, the benefits of being a prefect was I did have um, a room by myself, which sort of was a benefit, sort of not. You didn't mm. like to hang out with your friends a lot. But that kind of let me slip well into the eating disorder and um, it was basically a physical appearance that uh, got the attention to step in and intervene at that time.
0: Yep. And was this from the mis- the what did you call them sorry Um, boarding boarding I was gonna say mistress and then I thought that sounded a little bit inappropriate but no (laughs) it was um so was it one of the mistresses or was it one of your friends that sort of cautioned that there might be something really wrong it
1: was but it was one of those very uncomfortable conversations Mm. that even friends could see that something was up but I guess um there was always a smile on my face there was always a wanting to help others, I guess, and kind of steer any attention away from you. So people just did not know how to approach that. I think in society there's something with um, if you're not physically struggling or there's no signs that something's wrong, people still are a bit not sure how to step in. So I guess that that was the same with friends and boarding mistresses and um, the really scary part where we can let things go undetected because – humans do have that capacity to, I guess, keep going and we assume everything's okay Mm. without just checking in. I mean, there's great days that we have now, like, are you okay? Which can stem a conversation that we are more open about having these conversations, but back then it was still very strange when you see someone still going about their day-to-day when they're really struggling on the inside there.
0: Yeah, I think you're 100% right. We talk about it a lot more now, but do we talk about it enough? I, I still don't think we do. So what did it look like when you had to be hospitalised? What is your day-to-day routine in a hospital? That's a
1: really great question, Danny. because, again, I feel people have this idea in their head of what it might look like to be hospitalised for an eating disorder or, I guess, stemming from other illnesses, what it's like to be hospitalised for bipolar or, um, I guess, other mental illnesses. There, I actually... Do you want to touch on the system and how much it has changed during this time? So my first experience, I was 16
0: years old. God, that's so young. Just gives me goosebumps. (laughs) I didn't
1: know much and all I knew that if I didn't eat, I felt good. So I didn't even know much about anorexia eating disorders in general. It was just something that I was doing and I guess... It had full control of me. So I was taken from boarding school. At this time, my parents were overseas. So think back to the early 2000s before we had cell phones. And I remember them being in Scotland. And this was back to a time of if you were overseas, you wouldn't hear from anyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> back then. And um, the school felt that they were doing the great thing. So I was put in, oh, I was taken to a doctor who said this girl needs medical attention um, and was taken to a hospital there got some medical attention, however, realising that there was a lot to address. So I was put into my first, I guess, acute psychiatric ward there at this time. Um, Again, being 16 years old, having no idea, still very intelligent, fun, loving girl, and I was put into this unit in one of the hospitals. As soon as I arrived, everything was taken away from me, so I was given a gown, I was taken to a room, I've lots of windows around it and I was told that I was allowed nothing until I ate something.
0: Oh god. Wow. Okay. This is
1: a very different way of treatment and I'd like to thank the system for changing a lot. But I was placed until bed and that was my problem. I couldn't eat. I don't know why. It made me feel good and I was at a point I just could not eat. So I had a long couple of weeks while my parents were overseas trying to make their way home to see what was going on here because they'd also just known me as a fun-loving girl, really liked her school. I was um, into my cross country and I touched football a lot. And how did I end up here? What was going on? Um, so we had a rough couple of weeks. I would not budge and this is the effect of the eating disorder. Um, you're so drained into it and That's just what you do. So there was no incentive that was going to get me to eat. And um, I was lucky. I did get to come home um, for a little bit, but that didn't uh, mark the system of what was going on. I never went back to school, but I was soon put into hospital again as um, I guess uh, I started to relapse even more because it was all about the eating disorder Mm -hmm. and uh, started treatment in Brisbane. And they did have a specialised eating disorder program in Brisbane where you're set up and um, they have
0: eight people that they allow in
1: the program which we're still pushing to get more beds. There's
0: is there still only the eight allowed at the moment? In the private
1: sector they have eight beds allocated for eating disorders and I believe it is around $1.6 People that suffer with eating issues in Australia at the
0: moment. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I did um, did do a little bit of Googling. So approximately 16% of the Australian population suffers from an eating disorder. Interestingly, binge eating disorders make up 6% of that with an onset age of 25. So the whole stigma of it's just an issue when you're a teenager is, well, completely incorrect. But fewer than 25% of them seek help or receive care. And I think, well, that's a little bit scary to think, even if they are trying to, that potentially we're not offering the services.
1: Definitely, Danny. Uh, they are making vast improvements at the moment. And I'd like to thank, I guess, Greg Hunt and the federal government for stepping in last year, issuing $21 billion to eating disorder help to yeah. get those Medicare rebates for treatment. And at the moment, working on that criteria so that people with all spectrums of eating disorder can't receive help. It's not allocated to just anorexia or bulimia. We've got binge eating disorder. We've got essential ways with food that are overtaking people's lives where people do need the help and get that, I guess, control back of their own lives and uh, establish that healthy routine again with food.
0: Mm. So is Brisbane, when they started to address maybe the mental health side of things It's quite interesting, Danny. So
1: to treat eating disorders have been very complex. You can't actually start to address the mental side when somebody's in hospital because malnutrition is so low that they're not able to register or take in any information because the brain is starved. So essentially they do have programs um, which is all about refeeding. And that was a lot of hospital life was I would go in and out. I had up to 25 admissions um, during my time. Sometimes in these programs, um, sometimes I get very unwell, so it was medical, spent a lot of time in ICU and rebuilding that way. But essentially a lot of the programs are to restore that nutrition and then outsource to our programs and different professionals where you can start to address what is actually going on.
0: Yeah. So what was it for you when, I guess... It- what was your pivotal moment of when the tides turned and you went, actually, I need to make a change or I need to work on getting better?
1: I was so tired and sick, I guess, and I was just so tired, <laughs> sick, and tired. Of course. Yeah, it's honestly, it was something that I would not budge. I would take myself to the extremities. I um, obviously came very close to death many times, but. The fact that that didn't work for me was, I guess, the indicator of going, if this doesn't work, you've got to get yourself together and you've got to try and do something. And I would like to say that recovery was probably the hardest part of it, even more so than the eating disorder. But essentially it's a few years that you're really going to have to put into it to actually have a better uh, better life on the other side. But I guess it was in my favour that the perks stopped working at the end of sort So essentially you're chasing that feeling. So there might have been a serotonin uptake or I guess some feeling that it did make you feel good. But in time, like anything, if we overdo something, you're not going to see the rewards that you used to and it's going to start to work against you. So that mm-hmm. really fell into my favour to go, there has to be something more than this.
0: Absolutely. I think that can be translated to any type of addiction. You know, you, you're chasing that high, but it can only last for so long. Now, yoga has been a large part of your recovery. When did that sort of step in and what did that look like for you? Yes, yeah, so this was fantastic. I guess I ended up doing the
1: conventional med- uh, medical system for most of my treatment time until I sought this so I do come from a medical family my dad was well, my dad is a doctor my mom is a nurse where they would go out of their way to um, find the best of the best treatment I went interstate for Melbourne for a year just to try a different um, eating disorder method and any conventional way and it wasn't until I really really must have made some click in my mind that i was going to do this where different avenues started to open up so i did um start to go down a bit of an alternate um health route um uh, we were notified of this man that uh, he was an acupuncturist but um worked a lot in i guess his space and um i sought him and i guess at this point i was not very open to professionals. I thought, here's another guy that we're just going to talk about something that he doesn't understand and great, but I've run out of options, so let's give him a shot. So this man essentially um, had had an experience with drugs, which is not unsimilar to anorexia or eating disorders, um, having, I guess, the same effects on the brain there. And it was through his lived experience where it kind of clicked over to me to go, um, wow, this guy has really gone through some things and here he is now living this um, great life and it was he was telling me about what he did so he had a lifestyle where it wasn't yoga that he did but he did Tai Chi and was starting to talk about the benefits, was starting to talk about how you felt and I was stubborn. So if you've got to <laughs> you're pretty rebellious and you don't want people to tell you what to do. But for some reason... I guess it was in his shining example that kept leading me back and he would kind of install little things into my head. And then it was sort of during that recovery journey where I went, oh, whatever, like let's just give this a shot. And it wasn't one of those miracle answers where you go to a yoga class and you go, wow, I'm feeling fantastic. This is going to change my
0: life. Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) One one session in. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think I sat there
1: and um, I guess – with an eating disorder, um, I guess, the way that I was. I'm a very intense person, so I needed to be moving and needed to be doing something that was engaging. And here we were sitting on a mat and everyone was quiet and I remember in my head going, how can they do this? This is not <laughs> fun here. And it took a while. I would toy backwards and forth, but eventually I found a style that really worked with the flow element for me and gave me something more like a moving meditation and just started to work with it. And... Um, for some reason, I just kept turning up. It was just a couple of months, I guess three months into it, where I'd stopped all behaviours. There was no more binging and purging that I'd been going through that stage. And for some reason, I just started to feel really good, which I've not experienced before. That kept me going back to the mat and um, discovered that daily practice of yoga there.
0: That's incredible. And you are very dedicated with your yoga. And you do involve your beautiful three. She's three. Yes. Yes. Three-year-old Mabel, um, is that something that you want to instill in her as well? This is so interesting, Danny.
1: With parenting, I feel I have had a fantastic mother, mother who's modelled to me of going, I don't really care what you do as long as you do when you're happy. And I guess um, with Mabel and her yoga, it's quite funny. Her dad is. Um, very into his yoga. He owns a yoga studio. And
0: she, oh, wow. Yeah. That's so, she's so cool. <laughs>
1: right up with these yogis and she sees her mum, whereas I use it very much as a tool. So I'll do my practice in the morning, but I have a life in the business world or I'll do my studies where it helps me kind of get through. And we've always joked to go, we wonder which way she will go. So I've never preached anything on her. There's always been space on a map to go, um, come and join me if you like. but. Might be one of those situations where they either love with it and go go
0: with it, or they kind of see your
1: parents and go, "I don't want anything to do with that." Yeah, I am
0: so happy. (laughs) You do, you girlfriend? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, So, touching on that, probably a good segue. Now, you are a single mum. How did you find? Because that's obviously quite a, a difficult thing to go through is separating from any relationship, but particularly when you have a young child involved and, and doing it on your own, how did that impact your mental health?
1: It was really quite interesting and you know, I'm really glad to have asked this question, Danny, because I think sometimes on Instagram we see these great sides of, oh look, they're having fun today and absolutely. Oh, this is really wonderful. Um, where I will outright say I struggled a lot just past that newborn period and the period when they were one. Um, for me, being very open, um, Mabel came as a surprise. I was somebody that I guess I'd never really thought about having kids. It was, I, with life, we think that we have this plan and um, we think it's going to turn out a certain way, which is, Mabel has been the first thing that's come into my life where I've gone, I know nothing and I'm here for the ride.
0: <laughs> so I
1: guess that happened and um, I did split quite early with her dad, so... Around six months and I feel with everything um, it was a big adjustment period so I know as mums and parents out here that um, it is much as trying to get used to a parent uh, used to being a parent as it is to having a baby so I we separated when we were around six months and I was confused I was very scared here I was I had built this own stigma in my head as a single mum, I remember moving to an apartment and I wasn't sure what to do with the baby. I had just recovered from an eating disorder. I'm learning how to look out for me. I've never really experienced love or a proper relationship. And in my head, I thought, being a bit black and white, I thought, this is it. So I guess it was really trying to build up and um, just going with it. And it was very rough. When she was one, I thought that, this was kind of life essentially and the one-year-olds don't really know what they're doing <laughs> and they're kind of tearing apart and, you know, I guess into life and you're tearing apart but you don't realise that you're both working together to learn lots of flexibility and, I guess, building a bond to know that you guys um, are going to be it. You're just getting used to each other. So I built up this thing in my head that if this is one, what a terrible twos. <laughs> Oh, it's terrifying. But by the time two came around, you realised, wow, we've both been on this journey together for a couple of years now. We're buddies. We're in this. It's you know how to do life a little bit more. I know how to be a mum and we got this sorted. And just for everybody, as you know, life as a single mum is fantastic. So I knocked that stigma out myself. I've never had a problem with anybody, I guess, um, using that societal view of going, oh, they can't get a job because they're a single mom, or, oh, they can't date because they're a single mom. It's actually been very empowering and I guess you really step up. It's, mm. you know, you just do it for some reason. You don't know how. You have days that you wonder how you're going to get to work, how you're going to pick up your child, and um, you just make it happen. And, I mean, there were lonely nights, but that had a lot to do with um, – me just trying to figure out how I was and how life was for the next chapter. And now I just I feel really blessed with the journey that I'm on and if other things happen in other departments, that's just a bonus. But it's yeah, great doing what we're doing now together as a duo.
0: Oh, and you are such a great little duo. And I love the words you just used in that it is empowering. I think it's it's a bloody tough gig, you know, being a single mum, I've Peyton's dad and I separated when she was eight months so going through that transition of them essentially becoming a person really puts your own self as a person into perspective Um, but you're right it is it is a ride it's a journey and I think you can certainly come into your own as a single parent did you ever feel with all the stress um, initially of going through that that you were going to relapse?
1: Uh, It was very interesting because I had, by chance, fallen into a dating experience quite soon after um, Mabel's dad that um, wasn't healthy for me in any regards, and I think it was one of those periods in life where when the universe gives you something, it's going to give it to you good to get uh, the first lesson. So I had got into a terrible dating situation where I'd experienced gaslighting and I hadn't known anything about that world. I mean, my life had been hospital. I'd been in a little bit of a relationship, not a problem one with her dad, mm-hmm. and i am set into this whole other world, and i have lost my best friend as well exactly at that time. Oh, God. So it was single mom life, uh, first horrible dating experience, which I'm sure we all have, and the loss of the best friend that I really had to check in and um, basically come back to yoga and all my, uh, I guess, my mechanisms that made me feel well. And it was a really rough time. So I will say the end of 2017, venturing into 2018, again, it did remind me I did always pretty much have a smile on my face because I like to see that things happen for a reason. What gets me through is knowing that there is a lesson behind something and we are all evolving as people. So it wasn't a general, this is happening because of you. It was this is just going to make you a stronger person and somehow this is how we learn and i remember getting through that stage and it took me a while i um took me a while to process and i guess i didn't relapse in that time i learned more about building better relationships with people i found friends i found people that would be there for me and essentially know that i was an independent person and they would let me go off and um there wasn't any relapse that happened so i always Feel that going through that period of time, I guess I'd like to say you never know what's going to happen, but for those different elements, I feel you can only go through certain things, I guess, like that in a bit. That having gone through that, I am a much stronger person and didn't go back to old ways there.
0: Which is such an amazing achievement because, you know, something that you've battled with for such a long period of time, it would be easy to fall back into old habits, not because it's about the eating disorder, but to regain that sense of control, you know. That's, I think, a really difficult part with, with an addiction. So well done. Oh, you. very Very proud of you just, you know, creeping on the sidelines over here. So speaking back to, to Mabel, what do you think, knowing what you know, how do you think it will make you parent her differently or is there anything that you will do differently with her
1: uh definitely i really hold my power quite strong these days um i guess it's from different events and really actually making it to the other side that um i guess we both do come from a sensitive nature i watch her and there are little traits where i see that she'll kind of step back and won't speak up for herself whereas um I guess I found my voice, particularly after those life events um, from the end of 2017 to 18. I just don't have the time of day if people are going to not be nice or push around and I do so in a nice way, whereas I will help Mabel um, kind of step forward and go, hey, we were here first in the playground really nicely. So I guess it's helping with confidence that way and um, basically just seeing that everyone is equal. So... It doesn't matter about status, mm. it doesn't matter. It's about being kind at the end of the day. So I really try to bring that forward and I guess um, in little ways that help her really build up her self-esteem, I was shocking. I mean, I was my worst critic. I could tell myself the worst things and being very sensitive, so I come from a very empathetic nature, I guess. I would take things on so personally and I can see that in her, so there must be some sort of mm. thing where... I just try to work with her confidence a little bit. And in regards to food, because I don't feel anything for food. For me, food is food. If I want a chocolate bar, I'm off to get a chocolate bar. It's something that has just become, I guess, as common as, um, I guess, breathing pretty much on my not mm. overthink think it. So I try to make that way for her. It's, um, I don't obviously you don't want to overload them.
0: Of course, which would be their their selection, I'm sure. Exactly,
1: <laughs> but just um, little things there where I guess they really are making up their own mind as opposed to um, being controlled by something as little as food because out there life is to be enjoyed and really you don't want to waste your days um, thinking about your import, thinking about your output. Like you want to go live your dreams, you want to go, I guess, do what you want to do as opposed to just getting caught up in something there. So. Basically, we're on um, an empowered moment and daughter mission and pretty cool. I see her through a scootering and little things and I'm like, yeah, you do have an intense little personality there. Let's, I guess, embody that. Let's, um,
0: you know, instead of somebody saying
1: um, that you're intense, let's go, wow, they could really put that into running a company in the future. So let's build that up.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I love your wording before around letting food dominate your world. I think, you know, a lot of women, a lot of us, have gone through from teenage years, even now, still struggle with that that mental and that healthy relationship with food. Mm-hmm. So I think it is something that we need to instill in our children. Do you wish your parents did anything differently?
1: In all honesty, I think my parents were doing the best job they knew at the time. It was mm-hmm. I grew up as was born in the late 80s, like late
0: 80s. Me too,
1: yeah. me too. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the nineties there, where we didn't know a lot about nutrition, we didn't know a lot about wellness, we didn't know much about lifestyle. We knew about a generation of dieting culture. So it goes back to the beginning mm. Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, where because we hadn't done that study and research, we thought that that was the creme de la creme. If you were counting your calories and measuring it that way you were healthy and parents were looking out for me that way. They didn't want me to be bullied. We thought that that was health. And how I feel now is health has evolved so much. So I've now gone into my Bachelor of Health Science and what we've learned is what food can do for you. And essentially, if you're doing nothing, you've got to keep in balance so you don't go into the different extremes. It's honestly keeping that homeostasis to a great rate there. So it's parents, I believe, were doing the best that they could and I am my mum's biggest fan, I absolutely oh. for her. And it was just what we thought was right. And we didn't have the education at that time. So where we are, we're moving in the world. It is evolving so quickly. And this is why I think the whole generation now is focused around um, things that we're passionate about, lifestyle, nutrition, balance, and um, proper exercise to make you feel good. But um, back then, it was a journey. And I'd like to say that we've come so far since then.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's what most parents do is the best that they can with the knowledge that they have at the time. If you were to give advice to someone who's got someone in their life who is going through an eating disorder, what would you recommend that they do in terms of support?
1: This is brilliant. And I have had some fantastic friends in my life who have seen me literally, as I say, through thick and thin, and they have just treated me as the human. I had a hard time comprehending that I was worthy um, if I was at a high weight and um, that I could only be considered okay as a human that I was thin. But it was these friends that never saw that. They saw me as the human, as the soul that I was. And it wasn't um, necessarily that they were sitting there going, you need to eat, you need to stop doing this. It was, they were just there. So I think my advice would be, if you've got someone, it can be the hardest. You see them and you can see the torment that they're putting themselves through and in all honesty, we can speak, we can be, I like to call it does that mean, the intensive care bearer of going you need to do this, but yeah. sometimes just being there and just sitting with someone is enough. I still have these stable people in my life and it has was never spoken about. It was mm-hmm. if they would come to hang out with me in hospital or visit, it was they were telling me about things outside of life that had nothing to do with dieting. They were talking about how great it was to see the sun or they were talking about funny boy problems. I think we were in early uni days as well and it was basically just being there because, as we know, conversations can be quite hard to um, have but there's also something about just showing up and being stable. I think um, actions sometimes speak louder than words. So if you've got someone who's special to you and you just don't know how to approach it, just be there, be gentle and the eating disorder will push. I can be very happy, I guess, you know, because Sydney's a nice person, but in the peak of the eating disorders, there was violence, there was swearing, there was throwing of plates, anything. This is exactly how it just hijacks you. You don't even know how you are as a person and it's not taking that personally. It's going, wow, this person is not well at this point of time. They're really fighting the demons here and to just sit back and go, it's okay I can sit through this too so I think that would be the most powerful thing that somebody can do to actually help
0: someone there that's such incredible advice because you know you don't want to step on the toes of the professionals or or try and overtake that treatment but just being there you're spot on actions speak louder than words so you've been through a lot obviously and I I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story what's next for you uh, life is a lesson, <laughs> isn't it? This is uh, really exciting
1: because I graduate from um, clinical nutrition very soon. Yay! Yay! That has been a journey as well. I'm not a conventional person, so it wasn't about go to uni, get my degree, do something. It's been a process, and I've done this degree over seven years. I had to extend my course because it doesn't matter. It's essentially about the journey. I've done some cool things in that time as well. So yeah. I wasn't going into private practice because in my head I thought, oh, this is not really what I do, what I want to do. um, I guess I could utilize it for other things, but it has just flipped. Now that I am in clinic and I am treating patients, it is working with the individual that I really want to do. They'll always be an unconventional little spin, so I'm looking forward to opening up private practice next year and I do have some cool media week uh, media work that I'm able to release to you guys next year in June when um all my qualifications come through so watch this space
0: That's so exciting so yes yeah, so you certainly do have a lot going on we've got YouTube coming up and you've got your website and Instagram obviously which I'll pop your handle in the in the show notes so everyone can give you a follow um, so before I let you go One thing that that you'll know that I'm really passionate about is um, particularly with motherhood is not losing yourself and still reconnecting with you. So, um, and I like to call it the me before mummy. What is it that you do to connect with yourself outside of being a mother? Because you do have Mabel 50-50, so you get those snippets of time where you can just focus on you. So what would that be? Yeah,
1: I definitely do have my non-negotiables and I've had to step back and go, Lex, you're not a selfish person Person for having, uh, to having, I guess, having this time for you. And I am incredibly lucky. I have a bit of a team going on. My mom is very helpful um, knowing that she's seeing what keeps me well, what makes me be the best person I am. So she's willing to help out if we need in that regard. But it is, I do keep to my daily practice of yoga. And I tell you what, that is not burning my candles and incense every single morning (laughs) yes I do get some weeks where that's awesome and you watch the sunrise but sometimes that is running around the house um I guess you know what it's like you've got your hair flying everywhere you've got milk bottles you've got pepper pig on and you're just throwing your yoga mat down and you're realizing that this is what it is actually about it's finding stillness in the chaos of life so I like to call it uh, the calm and the chaos and basically it's that tool because I um, can still feel the same in that moment of yoga while you've got her running around and you're giving hugs and that's how you know that you're still taking care of yourself in that regards and like to keep up with my training as well so I like to run that clears my head and um, also on Sundays is spending time with her and just essentially just doing nothing. So that's really, I guess, how I keep on top of things. And basically, I guess, taking that view, Danny, where you've got to look after yourself to look after others as well. And I hope that models to her as well that, you know, you are an important person to be taken care of as well, so... 100%
0: 100% Lexi and you cannot pour from an empty cup so whatever you need to do to to give yourself back um, that little bit of passion then I think that's so so important you're actually really inspiring me to go and um, pull my yoga mat. Out. I don't even know where it is <laughs> <Nowhere>. <laughs> yeah yeah or just to you know go on the floor either way uh thank you so much to the beautiful and incredible Lexi Crouch um for sharing your story and for being so open with such a subject that we just don't talk about and you know we do put that stigma on people with eating disorders or we we just put it in a little box where it's someone who's not eating when it just is so broad um and there's lots of avenues for help and i know that you're working with a number of foundations so um thank you again for your time i really appreciate it oh and thanks danny and i just
1: wanted to say i equally think that you are such an amazing human and thank you for making this podcast where we can, uh, I guess, adapt and listen. As we said, that sometimes you just catch a glimpse on Instagram, so it's so good to have these conversations that we can't have and really appreciate the work that you're doing to get this all out to everyone and you're such a gem of a human.
0: No, you're the cutest. This is just a big love fest. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you again, Lexi. We really appreciate it. Lexi is just such an incredible woman and I can completely attest to the fact that she is genuinely the same person in person as she is on her Instagram and the way that she speaks about eating disorders and the things that she's doing for that community is just incredible. So I am so grateful to have had her on today to share her story. If you want to follow more of Lexi's journey, you can find her over on Instagram at at Lexi.Crouch and I'll also put her details in the show notes. So a few key takeaways that I had from today's discussion is firstly that eating disorders are not just about the physical illness. A lot of it is mentally driven and it takes a lot of work and a long time to really recover from such an illness. Like any mental illness, it's an ongoing battle. So it's important to be conscious and mindful of that. If you're going through an eating disorder or you're trying to to support someone who's going through an eating disorder, and if you are trying to support someone who's suffering, Lexi's advice is to just be there, be there and show up. Nobody expects you to fix it. The reality is is that you can't. But if you're there, showing your support, that's what means the world. And possibly the most important thing I took away from today's discussion is to be conscious of the way that we talk about ourselves and each other, particularly in front of our children. Children are so impressionable and we all know, probably from first-hand experience, how damaging it is to suffer from body image issues early on in life. We want to make sure that our children and ourselves are comfortable, confident and happy in their own skin. Now, before we wrap up today, I want to give a quick shout out to username at Champagne Patty, who tagged me on Instagram in a hashtag, the me before mummy. Patty was spending some time at the city cave in one of those salt baths, and honestly, it looked amazing. Anywhere where you can sit for an hour and just be in complete silence sounds amazing ideal to me. So well done. Proving that dads need to invest in their self-care just as much as mums. So if you are taking some time out for yourself or reconnecting with the person that you were before you had kids, make sure that you use the hashtag the me before mummy and tag me at mummy republic so that you can share your tips and tricks with other parents. But in the meantime, remember to take a breath, take some time for yourself and know that you're doing a damn good job. Thank you again so much for joining me. I cannot wait to share more stories with you. So if you haven't done so already, make sure that you click on that subscribe button so that you don't miss a thing. Thanks again, lots of love, and I'll see you next week.